Welcome to Cosmic Brilliance. Isaac Mars, our brilliant guest with a huge heart, is back for part two today, titled Unity Theory Simplified, How to Reach Global Oneness. Isaac created a wonderful slideshow for you that explains in simplified fashion the principles of his unity theory. And I want to show you his book. Unity Theory. There you go. <laughs> the Impossible <laughs> is Possible. A great title. In part one, Isaac shared his upbringing, seven years as an army medic, his awakening to universal knowledge, his amazing ongoing ET contacts, and his arrest at Tesla Giga Factory and more. Today, Isaac will be sharing how understanding unity theory can carry us to a unified global oneness, an understanding of the union of science and our spiritual nature, thereby integrating that wisdom that sits in our heart within each of us. Isaac designed his slideshow for all ages, say from late teens upwards. So once again, put your feet up, gather family and friends, and please like and share. <laughs> Isaac Mars is an integrated example of an old soul in a young body that is courageously stepping forward in leadership, improving on old dysfunctional systems and outdated rhetoric. He is a theoretical physicist who has gifted universal secrets, revealing the nature of reality. His passionate mission is one who believes that as we come together, we can achieve the dream where we create a world where science is limited only by our imagination, where suffering fades away into a distant memory, and where every person from every nation, color, class, creed, or any other division can finally unite under the unifying nature of consciousness. So with that, welcome back, Isaac. It is a joy to see you again. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here with you today, Marilee. My, my honor and my pleasure. So please feel free to share your show now with all of us. You take the lead. Sounds great. First off, I just want to thank everyone uh, and anyone that's here watching this, sharing this, talking about this, because whether you know it or not, you are helping to raise the collective consciousness of humanity in this now moment. And so as we move forward, let it be known that I'm not here to convince anybody of anything. All I am here to do is provide an example of reality that works for me and has worked for many people I've interacted with. So only take what resonates and disregard what doesn't because I honor your free will and your path. So thank you all for being you. And without further ado, let's get started. So today I'm going to be talking about unity theory. What unity theory is, is the universal natural intelligence theory of energetics, U-N-I-T-E. Unity theory is the first explanation of dark energy, dark matter, and gravity that can finally afford us secrets to how the universe works, how we experience life at this human level, and 
what the cosmos is trying to tell each and every one of us through the patterns within patterns within patterns that constitutes our reality. So to get started, my name is Isaac Mars. I'm a theoretical physicist, author, public speaker, and uh, I'm here to share the truth about reality. So as I share my story, I just want to be clear that everything I share is exactly what I've experienced. And I really don't care what others think about me and my experiences because they are absolutely real to me. And as we discover in unity theory, anything is possible. So the universal natural intelligence being the first scientific theory in history to solve dark matter, dark energy, and gravity is really important for this time, for the awakening and for the ascension of humanity. It is the science of consciousness. It describes how time works, uh, how free will is a paradox, and how we can take our power back by reaching our full potential, which is in alignment with unconditional love. How I first discovered these secrets in my experience came from my relationship with Albert Einstein. Initially, I was writing a science fiction novel in which I'd spent three or more years in crafting the characters, the timeline, the story, and the plot. And as I began to actually start following my heart and write the science fiction novel, putting you know pen to paper and typing it out, I finally realized, well, if I want to explain these concepts in the story to my readers, I'm going to have to figure out a fictionally digestible way of viewing time. But I wanted my book to be hyper-realistic, so I decided that I was going to look into and learn the actual science about how time works. And when I did that, I discovered that Albert Einstein, among many other mainstream scientists, have realized that time is an illusion. All of it happens at once. And this concept in mainstream science is called simultaneity. And I realized that by going through some thought experiments, I could uncover some really deep secrets that was really empowering for not only myself, but everyone on this planet. Another great inspiration that led to my awareness of these secrets was Alan Watts. Alan Watts, who was well-known in the 1960s as a philosopher, metaphysicist, and theologian, he shared a lot of very unique and intelligent and wise perspectives on reality and how to navigate it in a very healthy way, both mentally and spiritually. And with just a few of his words, my awakening was accelerated immensely. And then my third greatest inspiration was Nikola Tesla. A lot of people don't even know about Nikola Tesla because many of his uh, scientific discoveries and experiments were covered up by certain people in the human story. Tesla is responsible for pretty much 90% of all modern technology. If you're using a, a tablet, a phone, or a computer, you're using Tesla technology. Furthermore, he was also capable of creating free energy devices, which were suppressed and covered up because you can't make money off of free energy. So these three incredible minds helped me in their own ways through linear time just by their stories. 
And so I, I owe them a lot of gratitude and for what they gifted humanity, because it's a lot bigger than I think any of them ever realized. So in the universal natural intelligence theory of energetics, we realize that there is an infinitely intelligent life force that unifies all things in this reality by being all things, which means that the structure of reality itself is holodynamic, or what some may refer to as holographic. Hollow meaning whole, uh, dynamic meaning the experience that's happening. So within all of us is what we could call in Eastern philosophy, the divine mind. So being part of the divine mind, we realize that every aspect of the divine mind itself is completely interconnected. And the way that we experience this at the human level is just by the simple realization that everything within your experience, whether it's touch, taste, smell, sight, hearing, uh, all of it, including our physical bodies, is experienced within the perceptions of our mind. And when we realize that, we realize we are not separate from the reality around us. We are one with it. And because we are the whole, our true potential rises beyond all limitations. And I'll explain why in a little bit. When we open our eyes and we start to look at the examples all around us, we can see that a brain network looks very similar, almost identical to the networking of the universe itself. When we look at further examples, we can see that human eyes are often reflected in galaxies and nebula across the universe. And in, in another example, we can see the similarities between the death of a star and the birth of a cell, with the, the birth of a cell being on the left and the death of a star being on the right. And again, this brings us back to the fact that the reality we're experiencing is patterns within patterns within patterns. So once we realize this, we can start to see how it all connects. So from the water, to the dirt, to the worms, to the flowers, to the bees, to the trees, and to the air that we breathe, each aspect of life sees the universe from its own unique perspective, yet it takes all perspectives in play to create the entirety of the reality we experience. So what we start to learn when we view reality as part of ourselves, we can see through the illusions that we've lost ourselves in in this human story. Time, as we know it, is one of the biggest illusions that we really, really feel is real. So in regard to time, I've picked out a few quotes from my favorite predecessors. Tesla said that today's scientists have substituted mathematics for experiments, and they wander off through equation after equation and eventually build a structure which has no relation to reality. And to me, this is exactly what we've done with time. We have thoroughly convinced ourselves that since we have memories of things that we say happened in our quote-unquote past, that there must be a past. But when we really think about it, we've never not been in the now moment. So there can't be a past, logically speaking. But since we believe it, we have run ourselves into this dilemma in which there's this thing 
that we have regrets about and this other thing known as the future in which we have anxieties about. But the thing is, these concepts alone are extremely disempowering when you realize that they're the source of depressions and regrets and anxieties and expectations. So Einstein, on a different note, said, people like us who believe in physics know that the distinction between past, present, and future is only a stubbornly persistent illusion. To me, that was extremely profound in saying flat, outright, that time really doesn't work the way that we've been taught. Alan Watts said, the future is a concept. It doesn't exist. There is no such thing as tomorrow. There never will be, because the time is always now, just like I said a moment ago. So for me, time and knowing that it was a persistent illusion gave me the keys to creating unity theory. So I decided for my audience that I was going to make a beautiful and uh, powerful artistic depiction of how this works. And if you saw part one, then it's not going to be a surprise to you. But this is my example. Uh, we have a beautiful stick figure that is supposed to represent the present moment. <laughs> and so as this as this person standing in their reality um, <laughs> represents the present moment, it makes sense from a metaphorical perspective because things flow in the present moment and you can change things right there and then, or in the now, I should say. And I started to think, well, if all time happens at once, then there must be a past happening right now along with my present moment. And so I imagined the past as a mirror, as a literal mirror in front of this person that represents the now moment. And as we look into the mirror, we could say we're looking into our past metaphorically. We often literally say that we're reflecting on our past. So I thought, okay, the now is happening. The past is happening, but I'm not directly experiencing the past. So how does this all work? And then I thought of timelines. Well, we always say that we're on a timeline. So if that's true, what is a line? It's a straight path. So the way that we view a timeline is as a straight path. And so a straight path is symmetrical. So since time is linear, that means the past and the future must be symmetrical. So I put the future behind the observer looking into the past and that made sense with logic because we say that we can't see the future and what we realize is that the present moment in this thought experiment is multiplied infinitely into both the past and into the future which said to me in this great epiphany that all of these moments are happening right now it's simply our awareness that's shifting through all of the various moments that creates the illusion of a linear story. The thing is, in reality, I'm still a baby being born. I'm still going to elementary school and middle school and high school. I'm still going through every single thing I've ever gone through. It's just that my consciousness in this moment is aligned to this eternal now. And so to me, this was a very profound breakthrough. It meant that 
everything that I've ever been through was supposed to happen. Because from that human perspective, I live on a single timeline. And when we realize that, we realize that the real cause of our suffering is not what we experience. It's the way that we felt and perceived our experience with our mind. And so I decided to explain this to my readers in unity theory as chrono concurrency. Chrono meaning time, concurrency meaning multiple events happening at once. And what chrono concurrency explains to us is that in order for us to have free will, there must be an another step. Because right now, I just explained a single timeline in which, if you think about it, all the, all the moments are there, meaning that everything is essentially predetermined. But that can't be the case because we have free will, right? Well, yeah, I absolutely believe in free will. Just it's a little bit more complicated than we've been led to believe. To me, free will is a paradox, which I'll explain a little bit more later. But how we have free will is we take those mirrors from the infinity mirror experiment and we imagine them infinitely multiplied around the observer, creating a sphere, which would look a lot like this. And so a mirror sphere is my example of how we exist in reality. It's the only way that we could experience time in a linear way that we do and retain our free will. Which means if you can imagine something within all of the infinite points on this mirror sphere, there are the infinite realities and the infinite eternal now moments that exist that can create that experience. So if you can imagine something, not only is it possible, it already exists. And this realization brought me back to a profound experience I had when I was 16 years old. As you can see on the slide now, there are many different spheres that are multiplied pretty much infinitely in every direction. When I was 16, I decided with a friend that I was going to experiment with a molecule called dimethyltryptamine. Dimethyltryptamine, which is also known as DMT, has been called the spirit molecule by many scientists. And DMT actually exists within nearly all living things. When we are born, there's a huge release of DMT within our body. And when we die, there is a huge release of DMT within our body. And so when I experimented with this, I had a very profound experience. Suddenly, as I inhaled this, this substance with a little bit of cannabis, um, my awareness extended as if I was going simultaneously up to the top of a ro roller coaster and down the roller coaster immediately. And I was taken to this awareness in which everything around me became part of the same pattern. And that pattern appeared to me in a circle or a sphere. And then that sphere multiplied infinitely in every direction, just like the picture on, on the screen. And I didn't know what I was experiencing at the time, but with this awareness of chrono concurrency, I realized that back then I was experiencing all the simultaneous moments, all the realities that were happening in which I wasn't directly experiencing in this timeline. And when I went through that, I was actually holding a 
eyedrop container in my hand. Um, some of you may know the brand, it's called Rodos, and they have a little sort of triangular shaped cap. And in this reality, I was holding on to the bottom of the eyedrop container and it was staying completely normal in my awareness. But when I looked at the, the eyedrop uh, cap, it was twisting and spiraling almost infinitely. I really couldn't perceive where it ended and where it began. And looking back on that experience, I realized that in this reality, I was merely holding the eyedrops container. And you could say I was grounding the bottom portion of it with my being. But with my hyper-awareness in that mind state, I could perceive all of the other infinite versions of reality in which I was twisting the cap off to use the eyedrops. And so that was really profound. So with this in mind, it can be accurate to say that all of time happens at once only and seriously only if every moment imaginable infinitely exists in the eternal now. So in that experience with DMT, I was given a glimpse into what infinity really is. And when we learn more about the mystery of infinity, we unlock more universal knowledge. So with my awareness of these infinite timelines and the idea of the mirror sphere, I started to consider for some reason intuitively that this was related to the universe itself. And I began to conceptualize that there may be a container to our universe. It may have what we could consider a, a wall in which things stop, let's say. So when we imagine this universal container, we discover answers to incredible scientific secrets that most scientists in modern times have not even been able to fathom. And this takes me to my explanation of dark energy. So what dark energy is in reference to mainstream science is the expansion, quote unquote, of the universe. The way that we confirm this expansion is by measuring distant galaxies as they move further and further away from ours. So what that would look like is something like this. Here we have two galaxies that are distance a certain uh, measurement apart. And as linear time, or what I would call perceived linear time, unfolds, we see that these galaxies start to go further and further and further apart. And that's what we confirm through our scientific measurements. And so that takes us to the next piece of the puzzle, I would say, dark matter. So the existence of dark matter is justified by two main criteria. One, the orbital patterns in many galaxies would not make sense unless there was allegedly more mass in play. And two, scientists have observed phenomena such as gravitational lensing that explains that there could be something a little bit more suspect going on. And that gravitational lensing is shown in these examples uh, in which this alleged dark matter cannot be seen by the human eye, but we can see that it is affecting the very light that's passing through it. So 
this takes us to the third piece of the puzzle, which is gravity itself. And the big question that a lot of scientists have proposed is, is gravity a force? If you think it's a force, then you might be in alignment with the beliefs of this organization. And many viewers may be on board with NASA, but I know that there's a lot of people out there, including myself, that have come across some uh, very interesting information regarding that organization. So going to NASA's webpage, we can see that they claim gravity is the force by which a planet or other body draws objects towards, towards its center. So clearly they believe that it is a force. But a lot of people out there might not know that language and what we say is far more important than we've been led to believe. Mm -hmm. So what does NASA mean in Hebrew? If you look it up, you'll learn. NASA means to deceive in Hebrew. So I don't know if I would tr trust an organization uh, that is blatantly saying that they might be lying. So for those of you that think gravity maybe isn't a force, then you would be more in alignment with this gentleman, Albert Einstein. According to the general theory of relativity, which was proposed by Einstein in the early 1900s, gravity is not a force. It is a consequence of the curvature of space-time caused by the uneven distribution of mass. Wow, that is kind of difficult for the mind to unfold and, and integrate. So I'll explain it in a little bit simpler terms in a moment. So the way that Einstein explained this is through something called the cosmological constant. Originally proposed in 1917, Einstein used the cosmological constant to force a static universal model into his equations. Back then, he was a little bit weirded out because he realized that if his equations were correct, this meant that the universe from his perception was expanding. And mainstream science hadn't even accounted for that or considered that. And that would have complicated things. So he decided to use the cosmological constant to force that static universal model in. But when the Hubble telescope discovered in 1931 that the universe was expanding, Einstein altered the meaning behind the cosmological constant to account for the creation of what he considered would be new space. So the cosmological constant, which is the idea of this creation of new space, which is also known as the lambda variable, for me, held the key to unlocking unity theory. Because the lambda variable led me to three important questions. What causes the expansion of the universe? Where does the new space Einstein theorized come from? And if gravity is not a force, then what is it? And this is when I came up with the idea of universal spatial pressurization. Universal spatial pressurization is unity theory's answer to gravity, dark matter, and dark energy. 
So let's explore the first question. What causes the expansion of the universe? If anybody here wants to take a moment to think about it, let's consider. If the universe is expanding, then wouldn't that mean if there was something outside of the universe that it must be bumping into it? It, it would be kind of silly from an infinitely intelligent perspective to... It would be kind of silly from an infinitely intelligent perspective to create a system that would, let's say, interact with other systems in a, I don't know, an unintuitive way. Universal spatial pressurization is unity theory's answer to gravity, dark matter, and dark energy, and how they all work. USP, as I call it, actually unifies these three concepts into one idea. So if you want to take a guess right now, consider, what could possibly cause the expansion of the universe? And I'll give you a hint. From my perspective, it's kind of a philosophical answer. It's perception. Hmm. So when we think about our perception and how it creates our reality, how would we create an infinite amount of space within a finite amount of space? Well, it would look something like this. Here we have the two same galaxies that we used earlier in the example of dark energy. But notice how this example differs from the last example. They both begin at this certain distance, and then we observe them as they get further and further apart. But look at the distance. The distance between the centers of these galaxies remains the same. But Still, if you were an observer living in one of these galaxies, surely it would seem that the galaxies are getting further and further away from each other. So how does our perception create an expanding universe? Everything shrinks. Holy shift in the scientific paradigm. If everything shrinks, then that just changes everything we thought about what it means to be in a physical body, in a physical world. And the patterns don't lie. If you look in the, the background of this, this image I'm sharing, you can see that this planet, which could be Earth, is spiraling into what seems to be uh, smaller and smaller versions of itself. And if you think about this pattern, all we have to do is look into nature. So just as we see these fractal spirals in psychedelic experiences, we can also see it in the animal kingdom, and we can see it in the plant kingdom. These spirals that indicate a similar pattern to what we would see on this picture if we were shrinking through our spirals through the universe, the, the patterns are showing us exactly how things work. And so I call this process of shrinking universal scalar reduction. So what scalar reduction means is that everything is reducing in scale. So this leads us to the next question. Where does Einstein's new space come from? Enter dark matter. Hmm. So in this example, we're going to explore what we just explored as the galaxies got further and further away. But now 
we are going to use dark matter itself as the solution for the reason that these galaxies are getting further and further apart. So here we have our little friend, Dark Matter. He's got a little smirk. And he's just an example of what we would call a gravitational lens. So we wouldn't actually see the lens because, again, there's no what we would call physical mass there or physical matter. So it's just really for the imagination here. So I propose that dark matter is exactly what is causing these galaxies to get further and further apart. And here's how. One thing to note is that anything shrinking, when everything in the universe is shrinking, that creates an unchanging perception of the thing that's being experienced, which means if I am shrinking with everything around me, then nothing from my perspective would be shrinking. So with these galaxies, as they get further and further apart in our perception, we can notice that this dark matter, which I would represent as a lens in this circumstance, is shrinking along with these galaxies. Something is coming off of it. And that something I propose is space itself. So when we look at this, and how it would interact with the galaxies getting further and further apart, we would see that as the galaxies shrink and the dark matter shrinks, more space would be generated from the gravitational anomalies. And as you can see, as more space comes from this dark matter, the galaxies continue to shrink and shrink. And I call this consistent rate at which the universe reduces at the scalar level, the USP constant, because it is caused by universal spatial pressurization. So what dark matter is in unity theory is simply high density space that diffuses into what we could consider standard space, which applies spatial pressure universally. So as this space continues to diffuse, it starts to apply pressure to the energy, because everything is energy, frequency, and vibration, that creates what we would call a celestial body or a star, a planet. And this causes the experience, which we then would call gravity. So what is a good metaphor for dark matter or this aspect of USP? I would say that these dark matter anomalies are the infinite hands of God, because in this timeline, in this reality, there are specifically purposefully placed pockets of this dark matter that is helping to arrange all of the solar systems, all the bodies in the universe to create the perfect experience on a infinitely precise mathematical level using geometry. So that leads us to our last question. So what is gravity if not a force? Here we have a simple cloth experiment that explains a 2D relativity perspective. In this experiment, uh, they use words like mass, space-time, and curvature. But to me, those things from a simple perspective 
are mentally confusing. So I propose a different way of looking at it. So in unity theory, we'll explain it at the 3D level instead of the 2D. And we'll use concepts like energy, space, and pressure. We don't have to complicate it. When we realize that it has to do with energy, space, and pressure, then we can come to the conclusion that higher spatial density increases the rate that energy falls into it. On this 2D experiment that is on the screen, we can see that the higher energy density, aka the, the heavier the ball is on the cloth, then that means the greater the pressure will be, which creates the curvature of space around that object. And so that's why when it's heavier, it has more energy, it creates a higher rate in which things fall into it. And that thing is what we call gravity. And as you can see, there's there's nothing happening uh, around this around this curvature that is a force. It's just simply a passive property of the space around the object. So here I've created a omnidimensional 3D spatial density example. And I know that that's kind of a mouthful, but it's a lot easier to understand than it sounds. What I mean is that no matter how you imagine this example from any direction, uh, it's always gonna give you the same result. And so around the earth in this slide, you can see what I would explain as imaginary spatial density lines. And the closer that we get to Earth, we see that the spatial density lines become closer and closer together. But the further and further out we go, the more we would move into what we could consider standard spatial density or outer space. Like when you see a movie and you see an astronaut floating through space. So here we have a little rocket ship. And as this rocket ship starts to move through these spatial density lines, it will start to experience something very interesting. So this ship will move through the same amount of space, but in a faster perceived linear time, because all of these different spaces are the same amount of space, but more condensed. And this is what creates that slippage that we saw in the earlier two-dimensional example, because the more that you move into space that's closer and closer together, the more likely it is for you to fall into that. And that's what we experience as gravity. So when we realize that space itself is what is causing the experience that we have historically called gravity, we can learn something very interesting about a concept Einstein explored. That concept is called time dilation. So what causes time dilation between two observers experiencing different energetic systems? So what time dilation is, is how if I were to be on Earth, and let's say someone were to be on a planet with 20 times the gravity of Earth, then the time, the perceived linear time that we experience when compared to each other would be different. Although in our own experience, we would both perceive time at the same rate of one second per second. 
And that gets a little bit complicated because that sort of breaks everything that we've known about time. But Einstein had done a lot of thought experiments and had explained it very clearly. So this is a very real thing. If anybody has seen the movie Interstellar, they have an experience in that movie that explains how time dilation works. And so in unity theory, we realize that the higher spatial density is, the greater the rate at which energy falls into it. And perceived linear time unfolds at rates that are relative to each observer's velocity and spatial density. So that means the faster you're moving through space and the more dense the space is that you're moving through, the faster you would move through perceived linear time. This is important because this is a very complicated topic that mainstream science can't explain very clearly, but unity theory is able to, which is great because that adds a lot of credibility to everything I'm sharing with all of you and the scientific community as a whole. This perspective is unique to unity theory in the sense that it's the first theory to be able to clearly describe it. And this is important for mankind and for mainstream science, because once we start to realize this, we can break through some pretty intense limitations that we put on ourselves in regard to science as a whole. And so with these ideas of time being a singular timeline and all the infinite timelines and learning how dark matter, dark energy, and gravity work within universal spatial pressurization, and how this relates to time dilation, I want to take us back to an important concept which we explored with the single timeline, and that's free will. So free will, is it real? Well, I propose that it is, and it isn't, and it is, and it isn't, because what it comes down to is the way we perceive it. So physicist John Bell created what he called Bell's inequalities. And the reason that he did this is because he was attempting to prove that Einstein was wrong about his ideas on quantum entanglement. Einstein proposed that quantum entanglement, the idea that information can be transmitted faster than the speed of light from two non-local locations, meaning that they're very far away from each other, that it shouldn't be possible according to his understanding of reality. So that's why John Bell created these inequalities. Now, the interesting thing is that there was one loophole to his hypothesis, which he himself proposed, but personally did not support, which would cause Einstein to be correct. And that concept was referred to as superdeterminism. Superdeterminism is the idea that everything on a single timeline is determined by previously existing causes. And the way that I could explain this in a more logical capacity is that one timeline is an infinitely precise calculated sequence of geometric calculations. And all of these calculations already exist, and they all are spurred by the previous calculations before them from that perspective of linear time. And I know that's 
a little bit difficult to take in. But what I'm saying basically is that it goes back to the whole concept of, you know, someone kind of shoved the universe and everything started happening. Well, from this perspective, that would mean free will doesn't exist, that we are just riding on these, let's say, you know, train tracks going through reality, and we just have to experience what we're experiencing. But that isn't really conducive to a positive experience from the human reality. So how can free will exist if super determinism claims that it doesn't? That brings us back to the mirror sphere. It's the concept of infinite simultaneity. Infinite simultaneity is the answer to the free will paradox. It's also the clue to understanding our vibrational reality, and it's the key to the kingdom of heart and transcending suffering. And the way that we realize this is through something called the Mandela effect. What the Mandela effect explains is that the past itself is able to be changed, meaning that the only real thing which is what we've learned through spirituality and Eastern philosophy, is the current moment we're experiencing. Therefore, the past and the future are determined by this present moment. So in my childhood, I was told that Nelson Mandela passed away in prison in the 1980s. In my childhood, I read the Berenstein Bears, spelled S-T-E-I-N. And in my childhood, Arthur pulled the sword from a stone. But in our current timeline, Nelson Mandela lived until 2013. The Berenstein Bears were called the Berenstain Bears, spelled S-T-A-I-N. And Arthur pulled the sword from an anvil on a stone. So these are pretty drastic changes. But what that tells us is that the collective consciousness of humanity, since everything is energy, frequency, and vibration, is what dictates the current timeline we're all collectively riding on. And the, the interesting thing about this is that there are infinite versions of these timelines in which all of our experiences can unfold, meaning that we do really have free will at the personal level in our experience and the way that that free will interacts with the collective is what we experience on the whole earth arena let's say so the reason i brought up the mandela effect is because it is proof that we are shifting timelines and when we realize that infinite simultaneity is the truth of our reality, then we learn that every timeline imaginable exists. And each timeline is super deterministic. And the reason that we experience free will is by the shifting of these infinite timelines. And the greatest shifts that we experience occur at the collective level. For example, the shift from a timeline in which Nelson Mandela died in the 80s to a timeline in which he lived until 2013 is massive. That's one influential person that had so many different interactions through over 20 to 30 years of, of extra life. 
So we have already been going through some profound timeline shifts. And then the way that we tie all this together, learning about unity theory and how we are truly inseparable from the reality around us, we realize the greatest illusion. So what is the greatest illusion of mankind and the source of all of our suffering? It's the illusion of separation. We are all the universe experiencing itself through the phenomenon of consciousness. We are not separate from the reality or the environment around us. We are one with it. And each one of us holds the most powerful force of nature within us. The universal life force of unconditional love. We are singularity. And within the singularity, all possibilities exist. You are everything. And your potential is limitless. That's what we learn in unity theory. That you get to choose the reality you co-create. So if you get to choose the reality that you co-create, will you feed the reality of suffering with fear? Or will you choose to consciously create a new world full of unconditional love? Because the universe is a mirror. We learn this in things like the 12 Universal Laws and the Kybalion, which are also known as the Seven Hermetic Principles. Since the universe is a mirror, what we put out is reflected back to us. In Dr. Emoto's experiments with water, we learn this by certain people within his experiment putting out energy into the water before it was crystallized. And so on the left, we have water that was told it was disgusting. On the right, we have water that was told it was evil. And in the center, we have water in which love was shown. And so what this tells us by looking at these examples is that our frequency determines our strength. Because if you were to build a structure out of these examples of disgusting and evil being low vibrational, and love being high vibrational, which structure would uphold better in certain circumstances, such as a tornado or, or a hurricane? Clearly, it would be the beautiful structure that we see in the love crystal. So this example extends to everything in our reality. Our frequency determines our own strength. And in this reality that we're living right now, we are already starting to uncover the truth of our strength. And we see it in things like movies, TV shows, in Marvel and DC comics. We see these superheroes. And what we are essentially doing is reminding ourselves the collective level of the true potential that exists within each and every one of us. So it's time to tap into that full potential. Because that's the only way we're going to move forward. As Einstein said, the world as we know it is a product of our thinking. We cannot change it unless we change our thinking. And so since our frequency determines our strength, we start to align with certain energies that we attract through one of the universal laws known as the law of attraction. And something that I attracted into my life after I created Unity Theory was this book called Holodynamics. How to Develop and Manage Your Personal Power by Dr. Victor Vernon Wolf. And through Holodynamics, 
I was able to realize for the first time how I discovered unity theory, how I solved these problems. And what Dr. Wolf explains in his book are these various concepts that can be used to tap into our full potential and solve any problem. So Dr. Wolf and I have become very close friends and I gave my book to him and he happened to read it in a day. And the first thing I asked after he read it is, what did you think? And Doc said, well, it's not a theory. And that was it. <laughs> that was his first response. And to me, it's it told me that the universe was reflecting back to me that I was on the path of truth of bringing forward this important knowledge. And then Doc asked me if there was anything that he could do for me. And I said, you know, I would really appreciate it if you put out a few words about unity theory for people that may be interested in it. And this is what he wrote. Doc said, we were born to be part of the greatest transition in history. This book shares a unique perspective of how the principles of natural science are reflected in your personal life and how that has established productive relationships with others and the world around you. During this unique time of lifting the multidimensional veil, as we are experiencing moving from a state of conditioned slavery into an experience of self-potentialization, this book can serve as a roadmap for others on the path of reuniting our with our true family. So I am very thankful to Dr. Wolf for that because he is an inspiration in his own right. He has done profound things and has shifted the collective consciousness of mankind immensely in his work with keeping peace between the United States and Russia during the Cold War and working with many other scientists uh, from what I understand, he's, he has relationships with people like Greg Braden and Bruce Lipton and Nassim Harriman and all of these other influential, influential scientists. So what does unity theory essentially say to us in terms of empowerment? It's that we cannot lose. Collective consciousness determines the reality we experience. And high vibrational energy is always more powerful than low vibrational energy. As I've explained in my part one of my personal experiences, and which is further collaborated by the 12 universal laws and seven hermetic principles. The game is rigged in our favor. We can't lose. Everything is going towards the light and we are anchoring heaven on earth right now in this moment. So everyone, I just want to be clear that the world is waking up. We're starting to see this in the collective consciousness in regard to TV shows like the OA, which explains alternate realities and reincarnation and shows like Mr. Nobody, where a small child explores all these different realities that simultaneously exist. And in shows like Spider-Man, Into the Spider-Verse, Doctor Strange, The Multiverse of Madness, Spider-Man, No Way Home, and Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. All of these movies explain reality as a multiverse. But the way that I explain it in Unity Theory is just a bit more simple. It is our universe. But in order for it to exist, all infinite timelines must exist. So 
be encouraged people because the time is now for the awakening and it is happening and we are liberating this planet we are transcending suffering and we are uniting the people of this world so know that in all of this you are not alone that these incredible phenomenal experiences that we're all going through in regard to et contact in regard to spirituality and synchronicity and all of these magical happenings they are very very real and i am here with you and i am here for you so that i can help you in any way that i can by sharing the true nature of reality by being the person that i am and by doing so without fear so thank you so much for being here and for being you because one thing that we learn through unity theory is that whoever is watching this right now you were so important you were so integral to the entire universal story that's playing out in this timeline that the universe knew that you had to exist you had to be here for this so don't forget that because your life it means everything to me and that's the end of our slideshow Thank you so much, Isaac, for a very informative and well-designed show. And uh, do you mind if I ask you some questions that I think will help people integrate all this sharing into their own personal lives? Can I ask you a couple of questions? Absolutely. Do you need to take some water? We've <laughs> <you> talked <laughs> <laughs> Well, I want water is life. Oh boy. <laughs> I would like to digress a moment. Uh, because in I've been doing research on the connection of star seeds, star seed envoys, and their connection to unusual births. And I heard you mention in part one that you had an unusual birth that your parents considered a miracle birth. So you do you want to uh just briefly mention? about that? Sure. Uh, that's an interesting question, but um, it, it isn't so so crazy as one might think. But for me, it, it meant a lot in, in my experience because it talks about or explains, I should say, how powerful manifestation is. So I have two older sisters. One is eight years older than me and one's seven years older than me. And I love them very deeply. But um, when they were young, all they ever wanted was a little brother. But the problem was, is that after my middle sister, my mother was told by the doctors that she wouldn't be able to have any more children. And because of the circumstances of uh, my parents' lives, they, you know, didn't explore that part of their life too often. Um, but when they did, you know, it just, it was very interesting because they fully believed they couldn't have kids. But every birthday, every opportunity to make a wish, every curled potato chip that my sisters believed was, you know, uh, superstitious enough to, again, make a wish, they always wish for a little baby brother. And so because of the power of their manifestation capabilities that opened the door for me to come in and 
so I was told pretty early on, you know, it wasn't supposed to be possible for me to come in. And yet here I am. And and on top of that, while I was in my mother's womb, they were almost run off the road by a driver. It might have been a drunk drunk driver. And, you know, they almost lost me. So there were just so many circumstances that made it very precarious for me to come in. But here I am. So I must be here for a reason. <laughs> The power of intention. Yes. <laughs> on your end as a soul and on your sister's end too. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a great, great story. Also, uh, one question I wanted to ask you regarding what you shared in part one, referring to the title, The Chicago Incident. Mm -hmm. And would you be willing to discuss in more details the mental trials you were tested with? Sure. So when I went through the experience in Chicago, my family was absolutely convinced because of all of this information that I had suddenly opened up to that I was crazy, quote unquote. But the thing is, in hindsight, I realize again that usually these things are of a spiritual nature. And what happens when we're afraid is we tend to project onto others. And that's what happens to us star seeds and light workers when we have our awakening is that the characters around us in the play of life start tapping into what we could consider the agent Smith programming of the matrix. And they start to project their own craziness onto us because they're the ones believing in an illusion and in a lie. And so they told the authorities in Chicago that I was having a um, an issue with my mental health when I wasn't. I was very clear and I was following my intuition no matter where it took me. So after the whole experience in which I told the officers at the time to lower their weapons and listen to my authority and they they did, I ended up complying with them because they sent over a sergeant that was a lot more like a father figure type energy, very uh, heart-centered and caring and just wanted what was best for everyone. And so I complied. They put me in cuffs and they didn't say that they were arresting me, but they took me in for questioning. Uh, I was actually questioned by the FBI and uh, I explained everything that I was going through. And after being questioned by the FBI, I was immediately put into what I would call a freezer box truck. Uh, I was, it was in the middle of February and there was a giant blizzard outside and they claimed that there was heat in this freezer box. But when they put it, put me inside, it was allegedly meant for mental patients that needed to go to the hospital for further analysis. And I just remember thinking, why won't they give me my clothes? Why, why am I, they putting me in this this metal box that just seems so, I don't know, so dark and twisted. And there, I remember there was a big mirror in there and I could see myself and I was just shivering like crazy. And uh, about a 30 minute drive of just shivering, I finally get to, um, I believe it was Northwestern Hospital in Chicago. And when I went into the ER room, again, I think I explained this in, in part one, 
uh, I was questioned by three ER doctors that said, oh, you're totally fine. There's nothing wrong with you. You're going to go home tonight. Then I had the interaction with the psychiatrist that was just completely questionable. He was attempting with every word he said to try and gaslight me because that's what they do to starseeds because they don't want us to wake up and they want a reason to scare us into manifesting a situation where we are stuck in a loop. That loop being psych wards or um, mental health facilities. And so I wasn't having it with this psychiatrist with his specifically pointed questioning. And he left, but he must have lied on the paperwork because immediately afterwards, even though the other three are three ER doctors said I was fine to go home, they started carting me upstairs to the psych wing. And so up until that point, because of circumstances on my travels, I didn't really get much sleep at all the, the night before this incident. And then when I got to the psych wing of that hospital, I had, without getting too dark, I had a very intense spiritual experience. It was as if everything in there was institutionally constructed to keep any sort of psych patient as low vibration as possible, as much in fear as possible, and uh, as discombobulated as possible. I realized after hearing. After, after entering a room in which there were two other partitions, meaning there were three patients in there, including myself, uh, there were two women, um, and then there was a desk with two security guards. I would say out of the, I think, six security guards that sh shift changes within the, the whole two and a half days or so that I was in that room, um, I would say five out of six were extremely low vibrational. I mean, they would just cuss at the at the patients. They would tell them to, you know, shut the F up and or they're going to get drugged. And they were misusing their authority. They wouldn't let the, the first woman to my left use the bathroom because she had been aggressive before. And she said, you know, very calmly, like, I just want to go use the bathroom. You can you know, cuff me when I get back to the bed, please. And they refused. And they said that she would have to, to urinate in a urinal and meaning that they would pull her pants down and everything. And she wasn't having it. So she was protesting and they decided to, that that was enough for them to just drug the crap out of her. And for about 32 to 36 hours, she was just out cold, completely incoherent, just drugged up like crazy. And then the other woman was a slightly older European woman. And she was just so confused because she said one minute she was at a mall and she was feeling lightheaded and then she fainted. And then suddenly she woke up, she woke up in a ambulance and they were claiming that she was a psych patient, but her issue was a physical issue that occurred. But suddenly Everybody was telling her that she was mentally ill and that she needed to go into the psych ward. Every conversation that I had with her, you know, across the room was very sound. She seemed completely normal to me and she couldn't understand why she was there. And in the two and a half days that we were both in there, she realized that the food that they were feeding us was making us sick. 
and I was feeling ill and I hadn't made that connection until she said that. And I was like, you know what? She's right. I mean, it's, it's as if there's poison right in this food. And so I stopped eating it. She stopped eating it. And then it got to the point where she, she couldn't sleep. Neither could I. And this was early on. And she said, I can't breathe. What is that smell? Do you smell that? And I was like, yeah, I do. And I smelled my gown and I was like, no way. That's ammonia. And then I smelled my linens and there was ammonia in the linens too. And so for three days, every time I started to fall asleep, I'd get a whiff of that. And what ammonia does is it forces someone to be conscious. And that's why they put it in smelling salts. Um, I, I mean, I've known this stuff ever since I was medic in the army. And so they were specifically strategically trying to keep us awake so that we would lose control of our mental faculties, make mistakes, and then they would have an excuse to drug us so that they, quote unquote, didn't have to deal with us. And so um, they brought some protein shakes up for me and that other woman because we refused to eat their their cooked food. And they they refused to walk over about 10 feet the shake to this woman because she felt so weak after not eating that she couldn't get out of her bed. So what I did is I said, well, screw this. I'm going to help this woman get some nutrients because she deserves it. So I went up to the counter to grab a shake for myself. And I just, I don't know why I did it this way, but I just pretended to sneeze and I, I launched the shake across the room to uh, the woman that needed it. And I said, oh, whoops. And I grabbed another one and ran back to my bed. And I remember the the security guard woman literally said, um, oh, oh, heck no. Uh, if you do that again, we're going to drug the crap out of you, essentially, but with more expletives. And that's the way that they were treating us in there. I mean, they didn't they didn't care about us at all, is what it really seemed like. And in there, I really had to keep my cool as a light worker, as a starseed, because the fear in me was absolutely convinced that I was going to be locked away forever. And I wasn't going to be able to get unity theory out to the people. And I wasn't going to be able to follow my path. And my mind, the, the programming in my mind from TV and movies kept coming up with all these ideas of how I was going to try and escape and get away from these people that are trying to lock me up. And then finally I got the, the guidance within that. No, that's what they want. They want you to try to escape because then they can say, no, see, they really are unhealthy and crazy and they need to be locked up for good or they're going to hurt somebody. And so I just kept choosing trust and faith. And after two and a half days, then I was transferred to a state-run uh, psych ward, and I realized it was almost identical to the TV show, The OA. I met other starseeds in there. I mean, 98% of the patients in that wing were all spiritual beings. They were all tarot card readers, seers, near-death experiencers, people that just didn't fit into the mainstream cookie-cutter society. And because they were experiencing these spiritual things, they were carted off and labeled as crazy so that they couldn't help awaken other people. 
And there, then there were some really interesting things that I haven't shared much with, with certain interviewers. Uh, well, I just haven't had the opportunity yet. But while I was in there, there were a few patients that, and these were the ones that weren't spiritual. These were the ones that for me, it was difficult to fully integrate the belief that they were even human. It was as if they were planted people. And, and I use the, the word people loosely because they were on these programs that were repetitive and trying to incite fear and anger in all the other patients. And the way that they interacted with me, it, it didn't seem like a normal person. It didn't seem like any of the other people in there. And they, what they were doing was working with the other patients. I saw, you know, men and women in there lose their mind over these certain individuals and get drugged against their will. And I did everything I could to help keep the peace and share awareness and consciousness and love in there. And I even got warnings from the staff, like, you got to stay out of anyone else's business or you're, it's going to get to the point where you might be considered in need of being drugged just because you're trying to help someone. And so I had to keep a low profile and, you know, I was questioned by uh, a psychiatrist and he brought me in front of students because he was, he was interested in me because of my explanation of uh, free will and and um, and destiny, because at the time I was fully integrated into the concept that on this human experience, on this single timeline, what I experience is meant to happen. Therefore, it's akin to what we have learned to be destiny. And so if I accept my destiny and I change the way that I judge it or view it or perceive it, then I determine my happiness. And so these students were very interested in my perspectives. And it was just a very, very sticky situation. And if I answered one question incorrectly or, um, you know, accepted the medication, then everything could have gone very differently for me. And I might still be in there for all I know. So that's what I want to share with starseeds and lightworkers is, these things are built to break us away from our intuition and to dumb us down so we can be more easily controlled and boxed in these places where we're basically hidden away from society. And that's not going to help anyone. And so uh, if anybody can take away anything, it's to stay heart-centered in the face of any adversity. And how did you get out? So... Um, how I got out of that situation was by um, learning as much as I could while I was in there about the process and what they were allowed to do. And I signed a form that said, as long as I didn't have any certain outbreaks of uh, anger or any other, you know, mental health, uh, let's say, symptoms that I would be able to sign myself out. And it was over the course of about five days. And so I was in there for about seven and a half days. And when I finally got out, I mean, there were just, there were so many things that were fishy. Um, for example, I went into that, uh, into that facility and I gave them my debit card and my money and they wrote it on the receipt. Well, they didn't give me that receipt. They held on to the receipt. When I got out of 
the psych ward. I went to pick up my wallet and my debit card and my money weren't in there. And mm-hmm. I was like, what the heck am I supposed to do now? Now I'm in the middle of Chicago and my car's been impounded and I have no way to get around because my money is gone. Well, then I ended up calling the hospital that I was transferred from. And for some reason, they had my money in my debit card. I mean, it's as if there is some sort of agenda in which they were trying to keep me in that facility. So if I had, for example, failed that test, I might've lashed out to the psych ward saying, what the heck, where's my money? I, I need my money back. And to them, they would say, oh no, you never gave us your money because the, the receipt they made was handwritten. And the one that they gave me back was not the one that they made when I went in. So they were doing everything they could to try and trick me. And so that's another important thing to do is to, to know it as well. And so, so much came up and we don't want to belabor this too much, but your life is a living example of how to navigate through. And uh, a lot of what you said from my research uh, makes total sense because not the average doctor, but uh, many hospitals have a particular personnel in them. And also, as soon as you give compliance, which you Mm -hmm. never did. You were not violent, but you never said, you know, yes, I'll take these meds. Yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll do that. So happening quite a lot. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that so much. And since you explained that, are you willing to share more details about the Austin incident that uh, you were, we didn't have time for to cover in part one. And the only reason I'm bringing this up is for people's discernment to increase and how to move through fear and the tests that you'll be put through, because it was obvious to me that you were there to learn the inner workings. Mm, Absolutely. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I I needed to go through that so I could be able to do what we're doing right now. and, And that is share my experience with others to help them navigate through it and learn what is truly going on in this this whole human story. So in Austin, a few things that I didn't get to mention in part one is that when I went into that jail system, I realized how dystopian our society is. It was told to us, and, and it has been shown in, in movies and TV shows that We are innocent until proven guilty. But what has become abundantly clear in my experiences is that at one point, they started changing it. They started to treat us as if we are guilty until proven innocent. And so when I was in that jail, for COVID reasons or for, you know, the pandemic, uh, we were locked in our cells 23 and a half hours a day, which is solitary confinement. And only one of us was uh, allowed out of the room at a time to go use the shower and the bathroom. And we weren't allowed to interact with each other unless we were, you know, screaming as loud as we could underneath our doors so that we could be heard by, let's say, the, the cellmate next to us. And Again, it was a very similar energy to my experience in 
the mental health facility in Chicago. Most of the people that were in there in jail, they weren't necessarily spiritual in the sense, but they were in there for the smallest things. And yet they were in there for multiple days to weeks at a time because they were guilty until proven innocent, which is a totally backwards way of handling things, in my opinion. And there was just a lot of very interesting things that played out there. Everything was meant to keep us low vibration with the way they treated us. Most of the guards uh, were very uh, antagonistic and tried to get rises out of us. And uh, the food, the food was so bad in terms of health. I've, I remember after the first meal or, or two, I just felt so sick and like my, my stomach was just in knots. And after a few meals, I realized, you know what, I can't eat this stuff. And so over the course of 10 days, I think on the third day is when I had my last little bit of food that they were serving me. And I decided I was going to start giving my food to the other cellmates that wanted it, wanted extras. If, you know, it didn't hurt them, I guess. Why not? But for me, it did not resonate with my being. And so um, I started to refuse the food and I started just drinking water, which again, wasn't the greatest water from the source that was in my room, but I knew that I wanted to stay hydrated. And I want to say on the second day, the first or second day that I was in there, a nurse came to my door and she said, Hey, I'm here for a tuberculosis test. Can you please give me your arm? And so she opened the door and I said, okay, sure. I was a medic. I know how tuberculosis tests work. I used, you know, I was taught on how to administrate them. And so I was taught that when you give a TB test, which is right under the skin, you create what's called a wheel. It's a, a little tiny bubble within the, uh, the dermis of the, the skin. It's a, it's a layer of the skin. And so she injected the TB test. Um, yeah. What would you call that? serum. And she said, okay, I'll be back to check it. And so I thought, you know, she'll be back in 15 or 30 minutes. Cause that's what I was taught because tuberculosis is one of the most contagious diseases known to mankind. Well, after about an hour passes, I start knocking on my door and trying to, to talk to the guards. I'm like, why is the nurse not back? Why, you know, this is a TB test. You should have checked for it by now. And nobody would answer me. And finally, someone else came in and I talked to him. I think it was a guard at the time. And I told him, hey, why did nobody come to inspect my TB test to see if it's positive or negative? And he goes, well, you know, they only need to check it within 48 to 72 hours. And I'm like, when is that the case? I was taught it was 15 to 30 minutes because of the contagious aspect of the, the illness. And he said, I don't know, you can talk to the nurse. And the thing is, the nurse never came back, not even within the 72 hours. And not immediately after the injection, but about a day later, I started to feel my abdomen pulsate. Like my, it was as if my heart rate contracted harder. It was as if my heart rate increased. And the 
vessels, the blood vessels in my body were opening up as if there was this immense pressure causing my body to uh, overreact or overstimulate itself. And what this caused in my abdomen was what I would call a triple A. And that is a abdominal aortic aneurysm. Essentially, a AAA is like a heart attack or a stroke for a blood vessel, but it's in the biggest blood vessel in our abdomen. And if you rupture in your abdomen, you can bleed out your entire blood volume into that cavity. And so I, I felt like I was dying. And it got to the point where I just had to cling to my faith and have courage that everything was going to work out. And... I remember I was fasting and I felt this pulsing and my heart rate was so increased. And I just kept saying, faith unto death, faith unto death. That's when I, you know, read the the verse in, in the Bible. And um, there was actually another verse that I opened up to at one point too. And it said, um, it said something about being tested by an adder's poison. And an adder is a snake. And so to me, I, it was telling me I had been poisoned. I, I didn't really think of it until after the fact, when I explained the situation to a physician assistant friend of mine, that they were actually trying to assassinate me. But now it makes a lot of sense. And so I would say about day three or so of experiencing this pain and fasting, I suddenly felt this profound wave of energy come over me. And it, this energy was like love coming into my being. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I, I said, oh my gosh, this is good. This is better. I feel better. And that throbbing within my abdomen finally started to, to diminish and go away. And so after that experience, I was brought in to talk to a physician. And the physician interrogated me. It didn't seem like anything having to do with my mental health. It, it seemed like this physician just wanted to know more and more about my scientific theories. And I felt this coldness from this physician, like they didn't have any emotion whatsoever. And so when I explained some of my theories to them, they said, what are you going to do about this? You know, if you can't get in contact with Mr. Musk. And I said, well, I'll probably just put this information out there on the internet or YouTube for the world, because this needs to get out. And without any hesitation, immediately after I said that, the physician goes, we're done here and kicks me out as if like they wanted to know what my intention was so that they could provide that information to someone else. And another, another thing that happened after that is for some reason, the physician ordered for me to have an electrocardiogram or an EKG. And that's to check the health of my heart. And me at the time being a 26 year old healthy man uh, with, you know, a pretty high level of fitness, I was absolutely confused. I was like, why are they trying to check my heart? What is this? And so since I was fasting, they took me in a wheelchair over to get this EKG done and the nurse puts all the stickers on me, puts all the wires, the leads connecting to the stickers. And because I was fasting, I was kind of cold. It was a very cold facility, probably kept at like 65 degrees. And I was shivering. And 
I know as a former medic from the army that if you're shivering, there's electricity running through your muscles, which means that you can't see the waveform of a heart on an EKG when you're shivering. And so I'm shivering and she says, okay, we're going to capture, breathe and stay as still as you can. And she hits the button. I said, nurse, this isn't going to work. I need some blankets because I'm shivering. And then she pulls out the, the EKG read, which I know was unreadable. And she folds it in half and she looks at me and lies to my face and says, no, it was perfect. And then she walks out of the room, making sure I didn't see the EKG. And so I have no idea to this day what she was thinking or what the intention was behind that in interaction, but it was pretty scary at the time because with my medical knowledge, what they could have done is falsified my EKG, uh, claimed, you know, replaced mine, which didn't work with someone else's claiming that I needed a certain electrolyte. And if they gave me that electrolyte when I didn't need it, it would be the very thing that would cause me to go into cardiac arrest. And so I just prayed and I, I had faith that everything was going to work out. <laughs> I even I even began saying to myself, you know, even if I die, I'm going to ascend right here and I'll get out of this somehow. And that's when the the Bible verse that I had read earlier in Revelation chapter two, verse 10 came true. And on the 10th day, they opened my door, said, you're free to go. All charges were dropped. And I got out of there as fast as I could because it was such an intense experience. Wow. Talk about going through trials, <laughs> you know, and the other level of it, again, won't belabor this because we want to move on. But uh, uh, you were, you know, you were helped, obviously, by your higher self, star family, whatever mm -hmm. that love coming in. But you also managed to keep it together, be as fearless and as possible, not comply, but be polite. And uh, yeah, they were going through strategies of what they do. And uh, mm -hmm. the other thing is they had the permission of your parents initially. Mm -hmm. So they would use that against you. And folks, you'll have to listen to right. part one. Uh, their, his parents in their innocence didn't understand the star seed viewpoint. So, well, you know, I have, I have to be honest, Marilee, uh, sorry to cut you off for a second, but, um, being honest, I wasn't completely polite because I was still going through some tribulations in there. And I noticed certain guards were specifically low vibrational and wouldn't help other people. And for example, there was this bigger, I think he was like Hawaiian or something gentleman to the left of me. And he kept asking for any extra food because he was a big guy. He liked to eat. And this one officer was treating all of us like garbage and he handed me my food and he said, um, here's, here's your food. And I said, well, I don't want to eat it. I'm fasting. Can you give it to the gentleman next to me? He said, no, eat it or don't eat it. And because of the way he was treating everyone else, uh, my shadow kind of got in the way for a moment and I took the tray of food and I launched it at him and it got all over his uniform and, uh, he was pretty upset <laughs> and, <laughs> let's just let's leave it at that but yeah. um you know he said he was going to press charges and even that was dropped so it yeah. just goes to show how powerful we can be when we have faith that everything is working in our highest good and so much of that unfortunately you had to go for to a deeper education mm -hmm. 
certain things of the abuser abuse programming right on this but- uh, in this society okay so well thank you for sharing that wow um let's go to a lighter <laughs> which is uh most listeners at this point and you also discuss and and we believe that consciousness is key so can you define your understanding of consciousness and what like you were saying in when you were in these two horrendous experiences to try to keep your consciousness raised as much as possible, what that actually means. Absolutely. So consciousness is the base of reality. Some would say that everything is energy, frequency, and vibration, and that is correct. But even deeper than that is consciousness itself. Because if every little bit of energy in this universe wasn't conscious, then there would be no reflection, no transfer of information to any other aspect of reality. Meaning if if something wasn't consciousness, it would essentially not be existing in that experience. And so since consciousness is the base of reality, that's where all of our power exists. And at the human level, our level of consciousness is very important because if we are acting from the consciousness of a low vibration, then we are going to experience low vibration things. It's that simple. If we're activated or we're acting from a high level of consciousness or a high vibration, one that can be scientifically measured as unconditional love and uh, forgiveness and acceptance and courage, all of these things will reflect back to us. So when someone tries to trigger us, it's an attempt to test us to see if we're going to maintain our awareness, knowing that we have the will to react however way we want. And we can react with anger or frustration or indignance or anything low vibrational, or we can act in react in acceptance and love and faith that everything is working out in our highest good. And then the universe will reflect that. Because that decision itself is an act of consciousness. It is a vibration that through the 12 universal laws is reflected back to us through the law of attraction and through the law of correspondence, which is what we think creates our reality. It it goes back to the way that Einstein thought that this reality itself is a product of our thinking. And so as we raise our awareness, we start to raise the level at which we view reality and the more decisions we make out of unconditional love and all things positive, the more we feed and grow and nurture the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Mm. Exquisitely said. Mm. Thank Thank you. you. So another question. Now that people have heard the principles of unity theory and universal natural intelligence, which you stated is literally the life force of the universe. Mm -hmm. Can you explain how unity theory could be applied to our personal lives in a practical way? Now you just went through in a certain way your two quote horrendous experiences where you could have been (laughs) a full on victim consciousness the whole way Mm -hmm. uh so of course those were two interesting examples but just more directly uh you know explain to people how this can be applied directly in their everyday living lives 
Absolutely. So the the basis of unity theory, without overcomplicating it, is the simple concept of we reap what we sow. What we put out comes back to us. And there are countless examples of this being the truth. And so when we realize that, we have an opportunity. Do we want to continue to operate in the endless negative cycles from the conditioning that we've had throughout our lives from the matrix of society? Do we want to keep running the Agent Smith programs and the things that recreate the very circumstances that get us to experience what it's like to be a victim? Or do we want to use our authority over our reality to become the author of our own story, to really own that power within us, knowing that we are completely inseparable from the reality around us, which insinuates that we are one with it. Therefore, if you were to describe God as someone that's omnipotent, uh, uh, omniscient, and um, omnipotent, omnipresent, omnipresent then wouldn't that be the universe itself? And if we are the universe itself, doesn't that mean that we have the capacity of gods and goddesses? That's what I'm explaining in unity theory. That's why true science is one with spirituality. They're one and the same. And by realizing this, what we learn is that we are all the great chooser. We get to choose what we experience whether it's love or fear, whether it's growth or stagnance, whether it's acceptance or judgment. And the more that we choose to hate or to divide and buy into the illusion of separation, the more that we are actually feeding the very things that we claim to be victims of, the, the things that we claim to not support. And that's the importance of it. It's, it's to operate from this perspective that we really are choosing our experience. And the thing is, the programming we've been instructed to absorb does not like to hear that. It wants to say, no, I'm a victim. This just happened to me, and I'm allowed to hurt. And, and it's true, we are allowed to go through any experience. But the thing is, the truth is, we've, we've chosen it. How could we not choose it? if we are philosophically God. And therefore, that's where free will also is very important because God can never force God to do anything that God doesn't want to do, which means that we can only be a victim if we consent to it, which is what I experienced in my situation in part one with the Chicago incident. I invoked my authority as the I am that you are all as well watching this. And I used that universal potential to shift into a timeline in which the officers had to lower their weapons. That's how free will is very important in our experience. And that's what I'm learning in other situations regarding the structure of this reality in our mainstream society, uh, which I won't get into now. But once we learn how our language works, we realize that in a conscious level, the words of English, the English language, have actually been telling us the truth, but we haven't been aware of it at the conscious level. So 
in short, the best thing that we can do is all take part in what I would consider the greatest uplifting and positive scientific experiment of mankind's history. And that's to use this information that I've shared in this video and apply this one concept, whether it's for one day or a week or many months or a year, just try it out if it resonates with you. Choose unconditional love, which is everything positive, over fear, which is everything negative, first towards ourselves and then towards everything and everyone else. And if you decide to take part in that global experiment, you will, I promise you, that you will see the universe reflect it back to you because it won't be reflected unless you're actually doing it. And so as we all take part in this fun experiment, we grow. We increase the collective vibration of humanity, of mankind, and we naturally start to manifest a healthier, more prosperous and abundant life for everyone on this planet. And this beautifully, beautifully mm -hmm. said. And a lot of people, uh, what you were saying is you won't experience it um, because it's reflected back to you. It doesn't always reflect Universe isn't designed to, I don't think, I could be wrong, to reflect what you want. It reflects what you are. Yes. The frequency and the vibration that you carry, right? Right. So when those mm -hmm. are aligned, that's when um, you become more truly powerful, not falsely powerful through, you know, perpetuating the victim-perpetrator paradigm. So thank you for that. Now, now that we've learned in your show today that the universe is shrinking what does that actually mean for the collective consciousness of mankind so the importance of the idea of universal scalar reduction or the shrinking of everything in reality mm -hmm. is that it is the only and i mean the only explanation that has ever been proposed to science that explains the the fundamental principles that we have called up until this point dark matter dark energy and gravity and why that's important is because it totally breaks the illusion of physicality the idea that we are these beings that are limited and we're static and we're everything around us is just going to stay the same size <laughs> once we realize that we're all shrinking then there's no possible way that we're physical in that sense uh, as as in being you know, static. We are energy. And because we are energy and everything is energy, frequency, and vibration, then scientifically, logically, and philosophically speaking, there is no argument that could ever win in regard to the simple fact that we are all the entire universe experiencing itself. And that means spirituality and science are the exact same thing. And because of that, we are living in the time in which Nikola Tesla claimed uh, would be the greatest progression of science that humanity could ever experience. And that's because we are now studying non-physical phenomena, learning that everything is energy. So that's very important because once we learn that, there's no turning back. We yeah. know that we're energy. We know that we're all one. And we know a clear path forward. 
Yes. Yes. Beautiful. So in conclusion, since third density, what we experience here the, is the illusion of separation, and it appears to be the primary source of our tribulations on earth. How would you suggest that people overcome this illusion? The only way to overcome it is by choosing to overcome it, by constantly being vigilant and focused on a heightened sense of awareness. So whenever something comes up for someone, let's say a trigger specifically, there are many ways in our current moment in which we tend to react immediately without thought. And it's the awareness that we're playing out a program that just jumps into the front seat right there that we can finally take a little step back from and we can start observing ourselves and we can watch the way we we react and we can hold ourselves accountable and be honest with ourselves and say, whoa, so-and-so said this one thing and they weren't even meaning it in a personal way and suddenly I viciously attacked them. We can take responsibility for that and say, you know what, my friend, I did not mean to viciously attack you. I'm working through that program. I'm transforming it. I'm reframing it. And I'm I'm growing. I'm healing. And then the next moment that, that pops up again for us, we can not unconsciously react. We keep that heightened state of awareness and we say, wait, no, this is that same trigger. What's the unconditionally loving option? If, if it's a judgment, then that would be acceptance right there. Okay. I accept so-and-so for where they're at, who they are, and and what they're showing me. And from that heightened state of awareness, every single interaction, every single moment becomes a choice. Do I want to be unconditional love or do I want to be fear and live in suffering? To me, this is a perfect example of how suffering itself is an illusion. Suffering is not necessary for our experience. Pain is. Pain happens, and it happens for many reasons, but the most important one is that it happens to explain to us where we can grow, where our limitations are, and how we may be holding ourselves back. But suffering is the choice to stay attached to that pain, to keep reliving it over and over again. And so all of us have the opportunity to transcend suffering just by simply choosing it. And I really hope that all of you here listening to this in this now moment, you know, try it out. Just just give it that, you know, one week attempt and then maybe take it to two weeks, then maybe a month and see how it begins to reflect and see how you feel when you use this method. Because it's that higher sense of awareness that is the shift in vibration. It is the shift in consciousness because truly Consciousness and awareness are one and the same thing. Thank you so much. To tag on to what you just said, I agree with you. I don't think suffering needs to happen. And when I asked Eckhart Tolle in person, I said, I don't think suffering needs to happen. We know that uh, people have an emotion, right? And then when you're a young kid, when you're healthy and not programmed yet quite by the parent's reaction, whether it's to ignore or overreact, 
you find that most kids or children really young will process through their emotions really quick. Mm-hmm. So he said, it's not an emotion. Suffering is not caused by an emotion. It's caused by emotion plus the stories you tell yourself about it over and over again. Yep. I absolutely agree with that. Mm-hmm. And in and, our self-righteousness, right? Where we have to be right. And and so we have to learn to stop those. <laughs> right. And, and and with that that idea of wanting to be right, one thing that really hit home for me was when I was asked the question, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you sure we can't be both? <laughs> <laughs> that happens sometimes too. <laughs> I'm just being a brat. <laughs> yeah. And I love that. <laughs> okay. well, so let's, why don't you share with you your contact information? I asked some very, very challenging questions, mm-hmm. very advanced questions, so that you could also apply it, see how everything you talked about is not just the theory, it's a scientific thing that your head can get confused or not confused about that it actually once you start kind of grokking it taking it in you can apply it to your life and Mm -hmm. I also wanted our audience to see you in one of your greatest gifts which is spiritual guidance for self-empowerment so Mm -hmm. um, share with people where they can go to obtain your book unity theory and also where they can make appointments with you. Absolutely. So I can be found at the crimson eagle.com. Again, that is T H E crimson, like the color red and eagle, like the bird.com. And there are contact opportunities through there to get in touch with me. Uh, typically I work through Facebook messenger or Instagram messenger or telegram or another another app I can't think of right now. But the main thing is, if if it comes down to it, I also have a service phone number that I can share out. But the main thing is that when I work with an individual, I'm not like a therapist. To me, therapists give people a fish every time they come to an appointment. But I do, I do the next step. I teach people how to fish. So that they can rely on themselves with that knowledge, with those tools, and every now moment after that in their perceived linear time experience of their life. So I'm intent on working with individuals that are ready to ascend, that are ready to reach higher levels of consciousness, ready to transcend suffering, and live their best life. And I honestly want to be clear that if somebody wants to continue in cycles of negativity or continue a victim mentality experience, there's nothing that I can offer because it's just going to go in one ear and out the other. And I don't want to waste my time and I don't want to waste your time because in this human experience, that time is energy and it's precious energy. But um, again, you can find me at thecrimsoneagle.com. Don't hesitate to reach out because I'm here for all of you. And if you ever want to friend request me on Facebook, feel free to do so. You can find me at Isaac Mars. 
and just shoot me a quick message over Facebook Messenger letting me know that you saw me on a show and you want to be my friend. Otherwise, I may not uh, add you right away. And you can also find me on Instagram at The Crimson Eagle. Great. And also, uh, this is most generous because um, your book, for those that can't afford it, you will take a love donation. Yes, I, I should have mentioned that. So on my website, you can find the PDF version of Unity Theory either for a cell phone or your laptop. And I only take love donation. And if you can't, um, if you can't give me anything at the time, then there's no, no, nothing wrong with that. You know, I, I'm here to get this information out to everyone. This is about the shift in consciousness. This is about serving mankind and the awakening. Because the more this information gets out, the more we talk about it, the more we read it, we're all shifting into that timeline in which that's what we experience. And so, you know, feel free to drop a donation if if you're abundant and you feel like it. But if not, that's totally okay. And um, yeah, I, I look forward to interacting with all of you and getting to know all of you because I really, really do appreciate each and every one of you for being a part of this beautiful story we are all co-creating. Mm. Thank you. Thank you so much, Isaac. Mm-hmm. Uh, or Isaac, as it's pronounced. <laughs> you are an example of, I think this is one of your favorite phrases. Choosing unconditional love and courage in every now moment of your life. Absolutely. (laughs) And thank you, folks, for helping educate your family, your neighbors, and your children by sharing these two shows. Uh, Most may need to watch it two times or three times. I did. And each time I watched it more I could understand or what I call grok uh, to apply and then experiment with applying to my life. Mm. So we must share if we wish to move forward in a steady, loving and liberating manner. So be proactive in whatever way you are able. And we most assuredly will continue to move onwards and upwards and blessings And thank you again, Isaac. Thank you as well, Marilee. And if anybody wants to learn more about who I am and what I'm bringing to the table, I also have a YouTube channel, uh, which is, again, The Crimson Eagle. And if you want to share this in a very impactful way, I've got about a seven-minute long um, preview video for my book, Unity Theory, that explains exactly why and how this information is important and the way that it's going to impact the world. So again, thank you, Mary Lee, for this beautiful opportunity. Thank you for being you. And I just want to say to every viewer out there that you can do it. I believe in you. If I can do it and I am inseparable from you, then that means that that consciousness that's within me is also within each and every one of you. And so if you find yourself in a situation or a cycle in which you feel like you can't believe in yourself, know that I believe in you. So believe in the me that believes in you. 